Father, you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always long for. We thank you for being our Savior. We thank you for being our guide. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for your word, which is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We don't just read it, it reads us. And so, we, Lord, we, we asked that, that um, again, you would remove any distractions that would hinder us from really, truly listening to your word, engaging in your word, and ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, just work at, at, uh, as we go through this passage to, um, to not just inform us, but to mold us and to shape us into the image of Jesus. We thank you that uh, that's... You're in the business of, of, of changing us, Lord. You, you accept us the way we are, but you're not, you're not content with leaving us at where we are. You desire to see us to grow and to mature. And so, Lord, we ask for help uh, in that respect. Lord, we thank you again for this time. It is all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go uh, with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 3 through 14. It's a rather lengthy passage. Uh, but I, what I'd like to do is I want to go ahead and just read the entire passage all the way through. It's like we're getting onto a plane, getting a bird's eye view of this entire passage all in its context. And then we're going to land the plane and then kind of take our time walking through it. So uh, if you're there, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are continuing our series looking at this amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus. And I'll a bit of review. Ephesus at the time was considered the mother city of Asia. The reason for that is it had a great influence uh, politically, in uh, a great influence uh, 
commercially and even with religion, in regards to religion. Um, It was located in what is now modern-day Turkey, located around the Aegean Sea, so it was an important port city, so tons of boats were coming and going all year round. There were some major uh, roads coming from the north, south, and the east that were converged onto the city. So again, you talk about lots of trade, lots of commerce, lots of diversity, people from all over coming to Ephesus. It was a a very prosperous, um, beautiful city. Uh, Ancient historians described Ephesus as not just a desirable place to visit, but a desirable place to live because it's constantly growing. It's, it's, a, it's a city of opportunity, not just if you were rich, not just if you were affluent, not if you were just, you know, had a, a high status, but even people of low status, people who were poor were desiring to go to Ephesus as a way to start over again. It was, again, a, a city of opportunity. But it was also a very dark city. It was a spiritually dark city. The, 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 the individuals there worshiped many gods and goddesses from Greeks and Roman pantheon, you know, just the collection of their gods, but they had an unusual devotion to the goddess Artemis. Uh, She was uh, considered the queen of heaven. They described her as Lord, as savior. Uh, She was basically like the patron god of the city. It was through her, by her power, that the city prospered and grew and the people within its borders were were prosperous and and kept in safety. And so they built a a magnificent temple. It was actually at the time considered the seventh wonder of the world, a massive temple to worship uh, the god Artemis. And and, uh, a month was named after her. Olympic-style games, holidays, and parades were held in her honor. It was just all about Artemis. On top of that, uh, you had um, many in the city who practiced magic. It wasn't to say that nowhere else in the Roman Empire that people didn't practice magic. No, everyone did. But it was particularly in the city of Ephesus uh, where people practiced magic, the, the, the harnessing of spirits, good spirits, evil spirits, you know, casting spells and sorcery and curses. They had this book called the Ephesia Grimada, which was a collection of their rituals and, and spells and incantations that they practiced every single day. And uh, Paul arrived at this city and he stayed. Uh, he start, arrived there around 51, 52 AD, and he stayed about three years ministering. And that's the long longest he's ever, he ever stood at one location ministering. And the reason for that, he gives in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, he says a, a wide door of opportunity has presented itself. And so Paul's taking advantage of that. In fact, because of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, the Bible says that all of Asia heard about the Lord Jesus. Well, that's really significant. Paul eventually leaves a uh, the city of Ephesus, he travels to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, he's sent over to Rome, and he's awaiting trial. He's under probably house arrest, and here he pens a letter to the church in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter, what he does is he focuses a lot on identity, which makes sense because he's writing to a group of individuals prior to Christ, their identity was rooted deep in their paganism and in their magical practices. And so now that they're followers of Christ, none of those things apply to them anymore. They don't do any of those things. So the question is, well, now who am I? Because that was my identity. So Paul takes great pains into showing that their identity is now in Christ. And again, this is a very relevant topic for our day and age because there's even 
philosophical studies on identity. One philosopher went so far as to say your identity determines your destiny. Now, I probably wouldn't use such dramatic language as that, but I would say that your identity greatly influences your activity. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. You have a purpose. You have a goal. This is, this is who I am. This is how I live. And so for as, as, as Christians, we want to make sure that we understand our identity is in not what we do. It's not what uh, we've done in the past. It's not what, who people say we are. It's not what has been done to us. Our identity is in Christ. Again, Paul brings up this phrase, in Christ, just in this letter alone, and along with its variations, in him, in the beloved, some 30 times. So he's really hitting this, this nail hard. He really wants us to understand, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. This morning's uh, passage um, is considered by many to be the largest and most dense passage in all the New Testament. In the original Greek, this, verses 3 to 14, is one giant sentence. Just one sentence, like, how did Paul do it? Well, number one, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number two, Paul was a brilliant man. Paul was a man who was well-versed in what we call a Greco-Roman rhetoric, particularly when it came to um, oral presentation. Because you see, the, 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 the letter to the uh, city of Ephesus was never meant to be writ- read individually. It was meant to be proclaimed in the assembly of brothers and sisters in Christ, to be proclaimed orally. And so the way Paul wrote is exactly how he wanted it to be presented. And so he does some crazy stuff with grammar that's, again, beyond my intelligence. But he also uses certain phrases and words um, that had a certain amount of syllables that... uh, almost gave a a, a natural pause, a natural breath as he moved in from one section into another. And that's how really how Paul went. But um, when we look at uh, verse three, what we see is uh, verse three acts as a summary of the entire passage. It's a summary of the entire passage and the rest of it, verses four through 14, kind of just add more detail to make that summary all the more glorious. And the way Paul presents this summary in verse three is he presents it as a, as a exclamation of praise. Look what he says. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed there is a Greek word eulogitos. It's where we get the word eulogy. It means to, to speak well of someone. It's to ascribe honor, to ascribe dignity, worth, to ascribe praise. Basically what Paul's saying is God is worthy to be spoken well of. God is worthy to be ascribed honor. God is worthy to be praised. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's very interesting in the way Paul writes this out, it's almost as if Paul's reaching back into his Hebrew roots because in, in the ancient times, the, the Jewish people had um, a collection of prayers of praise that they would pray every single day in the morning, afternoon, and evening called the 13 benedictions or the 13 barakah. It's, I, I think, maybe I'm butchering that name, but there you go anyways. Barakah. And each one of those prayers began with, blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yahweh. And so here, Paul's kind of t- picking up that same language. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is worthy to be blessed. Why, Paul? Paul says, because God the Father has blessed us. 
He has blessed us. That word blessed means to be the recipient of a favorable benefit, to receive something that's precious, that's good, that's beneficial, that's wonderful. And that would have really resonated with the people in Ephesus because you see, they lived in their, according to their worldview, their belief in the gods was, you know, the gods were kind of, you didn't know what kind of personality you were going to get. You know, are they going to be happy today? Are they going to be angry? They were capricious. They were kind of, you know, just not really to be trustworthy. But uh, in order to obtain blessing from the gods, they believed you had to do certain things. If, 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 if I, I have to, you know, say these prayers, I have to go through this ritual, I have to uh, 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 give these offerings, I have to give this sacrifice, and the more devoted I am, the more I will receive, more blessing I will receive back. Today, we would call that karma, Right? The more, what you put in is what you're going to get out. Like if you put in a lot of good, then you're going to receive good. If you put in bad, you're going to receive bad karma, right? Unfortunately, a lot of Christians even embrace this kind of idea uh, when, with, their, with their faith. They say, well, you know, uh, I want to be a good Christian. I want to receive the blessings of God. And so I created this checklist of what it means to be a good Christian. And so that means going to church. Okay, check. I got, I'm, I'm here. Uh, go reading my Bible at least three times a week. I think that's good enough. Praying before meals, before evening. Okay, going to groups, going to events, and, and just doing this, just checking off things. And if I check off all this list, then God will bless me. Life will be good. Everything will be in order. Life will make sense. Some people would call this uh, the worker's ethic. It, it, just to summarize, make it really simple. Worker's ethic is the idea of what you put in is what you get back. If you put in this many hours, this is how much money you're going to get back. But when it comes to blessings, the worker's ethic doesn't apply. Because a blessing isn't something you earn. It's not something you work for. It's not something you deserve. It's just given to you. That's the nature of a blessing. It's, here's a blessing. That's the God that we serve. We serve a God who, does, who loves blessing his people. You go back all the way to Genesis uh, in the first two chapters when God creates Adam and Eve. Before they even do anything, what does he do? He blesses them. And throughout the rest of scripture, he blesses this person. Bless, 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 bless. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't work up to it. He just gives it. That's the God that we serve. He's, he's, he, he blesses. We who are in Christ are blessed. Further, uh, for the people in Ephesus, uh, sometimes it wasn't just what you do in order to get uh, the blessing from the gods. Sometimes the gods would be benevolent and would just bless you, but you never get anything for free. If they bless you, well, now you got to pay them back. And depending how significant the blessing is determines how significant your payback is even if it takes you your whole life. That's still alive and well even today. People who you, you give like a financial gift to someone, oh, I don't, I don't want to take it because I feel obligated. I got to pay you back. Someone delivers food to your house because you're feeling sick. Oh, here's some dinner. No, oh, no man, now I, I feel obligated. Now I have to pay them back or I have to pay it forward, right? In order to receive that blessing in, in my life. And same thing with, with, with Christianity. Unfortunately, they view their, their salvation almost like a spiritual MasterCard uh, that they used, you know, a credit card that they used, and now they have to spend the rest of their life trying to pay off that debt 
almost like a mortgage. Uh, Other people would call this a debtor's ethic. In what was given to you, you have to pay back. But similar to the worker's ethic, debtor's ethic does not apply to a blessing. Not only did you not earn it, deserve it, work for your blessing, you don't have to pay it back. You just receive it. God gives you a blessing, you just accept it. Thank you. And there's no, God's not saying, okay, now what are you gonna do for me to pay this back? No, here it is. Last week, we, we looked at verses one and two. And again, when it deals with our identity, what we found, if we are in Christ, if we're followers of Jesus, we are considered saints. We are saints. We don't have to go through a whole process with the Vatican and the Pope. We don't have to be a part of all these humanitarian causes and be exemplary in the eyes of, of all people of the world. Because of our identity in Christ, we are saints. We're saints, we're holy, we're consecrated, we're dedicated for the service of the Lord. Similarly, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Not you're going to be blessed, you already are blessed. And look, it gets even better. It says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That word for every is the Greek word pas. It means all. You know what is left out of all? Nothing. It's all. It's everything. You have been blessed with every, all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Again, he's being really specific, the kind of blessing. It's a spiritual blessing. God blesses us physically, amen? He blesses us with a beautiful day today. He's blessing us with some warm weather. You know, he blesses us with family and friends, people who love us, who we get to share life together, even a body, a church, a building to to be a part of. God blesses us physically. But Paul doesn't want to focus on the physical blessings. He wants to focus on the spiritual blessings because it's the spiritual blessings that are going to last forever. Those are the best blessings, amen? These are going to last forever. And listen, if we are in Christ, we have been blessed, not with some, not with a little bit, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There is not one Christian sitting in this room who is lacking any spiritual blessing. You've received it all. It's like, whoa, that's cool. That's cool. Now, some people, when it says the heavenly places, it, it literally could be translated the heavenlies. This is referring to God's domain, God's realm where he rules and he reigns. And some people, when they think of heaven, they think of something just waiting for them when they get to that other side. You know, when, when my life is done here and I get to be with God in heaven or when in his kingdom, that's when I'll receive these spiritual blessings. But turn with me real quick to chapter two of Ephesians. Chapter two, little bit of a spoiler alert. He's going to be talking about our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So chapter two, uh, verse five, he's talking about that we prior to Christ were dead in our transgressions, but after salvation, we have been made alive. Verse six, and have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ooh, here we go. So that seated up. Notice Paul doesn't say uh, uh, Christ will, ev- or God will eventually put us 
with Christ in the heavenly places. No, he says we have already been seated with him in the heavenly places. That's not something that we're waiting for. That's a current reality right now. Spiritually speaking, you are right now sitting by, uh, the, on the right hand of God in the heavenly places. You are with God right now, spiritually speaking. That is your position in Christ. And as a result, yes, you have a, amazing blessings waiting for you in the future, but you also can experience blessings now, those spiritual blessings now. And again, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. Now, what he's going to do from, from verse on to the verse four to, to verse 14 is Paul's going to explain or bring up uh, blessings that we have, spiritual blessings that we have. And if you're taking notes, he's really going to focus on three, three areas of blessing. Um, the first, and, and what's so cool is that you know, again, verse three, he's saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, God is worthy to be praised. Why? Because he has blessed us and here are the blessings. That's what's going to happen. But as he mentions these blessings, he's going to incorporate the whole Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. So again, if you like to take notes, the first section that he's going to talk about is that uh, the reason why God is worthy to be blessed, uh, worthy to be praised is because God the Father has chosen us. That's the first one. The second one is God the Son has redeemed us. And finally, uh, God the Holy Spirit has sealed us. So God the Father has chosen us. God the Son has redeemed us. God the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And that's what he's going to bring up here again it's one giant sentence it's it, and it's almost it builds off of each other it's just here's this blessing here's that blessing it's almost like this uh you know uh fireworks show just boom 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 here's this here's this here's this so blessed be the god father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ verse four just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world now that conjunction there um, just as is the uh, Greek word kathos, which uh, here it's kind of presented as a comparison, but really the best translation would be that of a, a causal conjunction. So it should be, we have been blessed because he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. We have been blessed because he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Now the, the word chosen there means to pick out, to select, to make a choice. It's just basically what it means. We have been chosen in us before the foundation of the world. So what basically what Paul's saying is before God put this thing, creation in motion, he made a choice. He selected made a selection, and that selection is on purpose. What's that selection? What's the purpose of that selection? It's the next portion of the verse, that we would, literally in the grammar, that we would continually be holy and blameless before him. That we would be completely holy, uh, blameless before him, in his sight, in his judgment. Now again, when he says he chose us, who's the us he's referring to? He's referring to the church. Because he, this is being presented to the church. 
And so contrary to what some people say that this idea of choosing has to do with your salvation, no, what it means is that God selected the church before the foundation of the world. He selected his bride, the church, to be holy and blameless before him, continually exist as holy and blameless before him. Holy is set apart, consecrated, dedicated for the work of God. Blameless means to be without blemish. It goes back to the Old Testament when it refers to offerings that were without spot, without blemish, that were acceptable for God. That's who we are. That's who we are. As a church, I brought this up last week. We don't live, uh, we don't, we live from our identity, not for our identity. We live from our identity, not for our identity. We don't work up to achieve our identity. We are given an identity and we live out that identity. So if we are in Christ, we're blessed, which means we're chosen. What does it mean to be chosen? We have been selected as a church to, from the moment we were saved all the way into eternity, to continually exist as holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless, that's who you are. Right now, from the moment you said yes to Christ, you're holy, you're blameless. And guess what? Tomorrow, you're gonna be holy and blameless. The next day, holy and blameless. Next Sunday, when we come to get, guess what? You're gonna be holy and blameless. Next month, next year, next decade, when you take your final breath, you're gonna continue to be holy and blameless before him. Like, whoa, that's wow. That's not just a present reality. It's a future hope, future reality. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Again, Paul's just bringing this up. This is, this is why God is worthy to be praised because he has blessed us. He has chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. Um, continuing on, he says, um, in love, God is always motivated by love. Everything he does is out of love. Why? Because in him, he is love. He's a God. That's who he is. It's not just like something he, some occasionally displays in front of people. No, it's who he is. It's part of his identity. He's, he is love. And this is that Greek word agape. He's a love, a love that has feet, a love, a, a sacrificial devotion. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself. He did it out of love. The word predestined is the Greek word uh, prorizio. And it's an interesting word. It's, it's, not a, it's not a word that's used very often in the New Testament. It's used only probably about six times, two times in this uh, particular passage. But it literally means to mark out or to stake out something. So if you were to be on a bare property, it's like you're staking out the... Um, the limits of your property, where before the wall is built, you're staking out, this is my property, or this is the extent of my house. And you're staking it out, you're putting all the markers on before the building is even constructed. Basically, again, a lot of scholars would say this is referring to your salvation. No, it's not referring to your salvation. What it's saying is that God in eternity past, before creation, before he created time, space, and matter, he marked out the extent of what this thing called salvation is going to entail. He predetermined what this thing called salvation is going to entail. What is it going to entail? We're to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. 
If you're a part of Christ, you have been predestined. If you well, well, you the, the church has been predestined to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Now that word adoption, um, uh, back in the, the the first century, the idea of adoption, I should say, uh, is very significant, just like it is today. When you were adopted, you no longer were part of that old fam that old family. The, yeah, that your biological father was no longer uh, considered your father. It was your adopted father was considered your father. You uh, assumed uh, the status of that new family along with its rights and all of its privileges. If you were a son in particular, you became an heir. You became a benefactor of your new family's estate, your father's estate. Now, that's the word that he uses, adoption as sons. But here's the thing. Paul's not just talking to men right now. He's talking to the church. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying, listen, the church has been predestined for adoption to be the the beneficiaries of God's inheritance. Now, um, there's a story uh, of, a, of a young a Christian couple who adopted two uh, young kids overseas. I forget where it was, I think Russia or Ukraine. Um, but um, these young kids came from a really bad background. Their guardians, and I'm trying to remember if it was an aunt or an uncle, uh, were evil people, uh, grandparents. I think it was grandparents. Um, and uh, they were adopted out of that, that family and the family brought them over to the, the States. And uh, one morning as the wife was cleaning up the kid's room, she noticed a pile of food underneath the bed. And some of it was already starting to spoil. She's like, what in the world is this? She lifted up the mattress and sure enough, there was crackers and other food just kind of stored up. And they sat down with the kids and said, well, what's going on here? And the kids said, well, you know, in our, in our old house, uh, our old family, um, it was our guardian's house, not our home. You know, and everything belonged to our guardian. And, and uh, even the food was our, our guardian's. And we could only eat if our guardian decided to give us food, which was very few in between. And so whenever the guardian would give them food, they would eat a little bit and then stockpile and just kind of hoard it just so, so if they get hungry, they can eat a little bit more. And the couple was just like, they broke their heart. And they're saying, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. We adopted you. You're, you're, this, is, this is not just our home. This is your home. You know, you are a part of our family. You know, our food is not just our food. It's your food as well. And similarly, this adoption, which Paul says is something we're waiting for in the future. Um, what it means is what belongs to God belongs to us. What belongs to God belongs to us because we're going to be adopted. Now, the cool thing is it's not something also that we're, we're waiting for in the future. Paul says in Galatians, we have received the spirit of adoption. And so we call, we call God Abba, Father. So yes, our adoption is something that's going to be fully finalized in the future, but we still um, receive the benefits of that future adoption. God is our father. In fact, if you go back to verse uh, two of chapter one, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God, our what? Father. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this. Our father. God is our father. We are his children. And as a result, what belongs to him belongs to us. We're part of his household. 
we're in Christ. Yeah, that's just so amazing right there. We're predestined to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And then he goes on, according to the kind intention of his will, according to the good pleasure. This, this pleases God. This makes him smile. According to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the dearly loved one. Jesus is the loved one. Jesus even said, the father loves me because I obey him. I follow him. He is the beloved, the dearly loved one. The ultimate reason for God choosing the church is ultimately for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. That word glory, it means, it's a do, do, uh, doxa. It means his splendor, his majesty, his brightness, his, what makes God, God. His awesomeness. So, why is God worthy to be praised? Number one, because God the Father has chosen us. Amazing, amazing truth. Here we go, number two. Jesus, God the Son, has redeemed us. Verse seven, in him, again, in Christ. This is for those who are followers of Jesus. In Christ, in him, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. That word for redemption means to be set free, to be released on payment, delivered, ransomed in full. This word is used all over the Bible. And if you do a study on it, it goes back all the way to the Old Testament, back to the book of Exodus, where the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt under a cruel uh, taskmaster, Pharaoh, a man who believed himself God and made their lives a living hell. And, and, and God, in and his mercy, he, 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 he sends Moses to lead the people out. But Pharaoh hardens his heart. He's like, no, no, I won't, I, I won't let them out. I won't, let, I won't set them free so that they can worship you. They're mine. And so God sends plagues. And then the, the final plague is this plague that would, is to kill. Uh, it's a death plague, basically. It's to kill the firstborn son of every person. Um, the only individuals who would be saved, the only families that would be saved is if they, through faith, uh, slaughtered a lamb without blemish and took its blood and put it on their doorposts or the door frames, whatever you want to call it. And so when the, this death plague came, it would see the blood on your door and it would pass over them. In the New Testament, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In uh, Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus Christ, our Lamb, has been slain for us. He has paid the price with his blood. Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. He lived a perfect life, sinless life, something we could never do. Good luck trying to be perfect, right? You cannot be perfect. Jesus was perfect. Then he died and took on the punishment that we rightfully deserve. Our sin costs something. It deserves wrath, but he took that he took our wretchedness, our sin onto himself on the cross. And so if you think about it, the blood that he spilt, if we are followers of Christ, that blood covers us. And so in a way, God's wrath passes over us. We have been redeemed. Now, in our modern vernacular, we use the term addiction. The Bible uses the term slavery. Prior to Christ, we are enslaved to sin. 
Sin is our brutal taskmaster. Sin tells us what to do, when to do it, and makes our life a living hell. And if we continue to be part, uh, be enslaved into sin, we'll eventually go to hell. But if we're in Christ, we have been redeemed. We have been released. We have been ransomed by Christ's blood. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are now a slave to Christ. And so we have been released from our, our, our addictions. We have been released from our sins. There is, if you are in Christ, there is not one sin that is so powerful enough to compel you to obey it. There is not one sin that's so powerful enough to bring you to your knees and have you submit to it. If you are in Christ, you can say no. You can actually say no. You're no longer my taskmaster. Sin no longer has a final say in my life. I have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. He goes on to explain this even more. The forgiveness of our trespasses the idea of letting go, the dismissal, the cancellation of all of our missteps, all of our wrongdoings, all of our sins, not only our past sins, our present sins, the sins you're probably going to do tonight, tomorrow, the next year, all those sins have been forgiven because now you are in Christ. One pastor put it this way, well, what do you do with your sin? There's seven things that you could do. Number one, you can deny it. Oh, it's not really a sin. I, I don't know what you're talking about. You can blame someone else for it. Oh, it's not my fault. It's their fault. You could make an excuse for it. Oh, you don't understand. There were some extenuating circumstances that led me to make this decision. You can make light of it. Oh, it's really not that big of a, de- big, big of a deal. You can hide it. Oh, you know, I hope no one finds out about this sin. You could punish yourself for it. Oh, Lord, I've, I've sinned and I deserve, I, I, I have to pay you back. Or you could be forgiven. One of those sounds better. <laughs> Amen? Be forgiven. If you are in Christ, you've been redeemed by his blood. You've been forgiven of all your trespasses. And look what he says, according to the riches of his grace, according to the abundance of his grace. But God's bank account, just to let you know, never runs dry. God's bank account never, it never goes down, never goes into the negative numbers. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us which he provide in over in an abundance on us. His grace, when we talk about his grace, grace is something that is favor, it is kindness, it is love that we don't deserve. That grace, that the riches of his grace, he lavished that on us. Then he continues, in all wisdom and insight, again, God's ways are higher than our ways. He made known to us the mystery of, something that was kept hidden, something that was secret is now been disclosed. The mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him, in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up or literally the bringing together under one of all things. And, And in the Greek, there's an emphasis there. It's not just all things, it's the all things. It's basically, I want to let... Paul's saying, there's nothing left out. To the summing up of all things in Christ, things in in the heavens and things on the earth. What Paul's saying is, 
this, this plan, God's plan of salvation, how it was going to happen, how, was going to bring it about, how he was going to bring it about in ancient times was kind of shrouded in mystery. I mean, we get little glimpses of it here, what it's going to be like, how it's going to happen through the prophets, but it was still kind of unclear until Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And that mystery finally was revealed. This is what, this was God's plan all along. This is where, where all of history was pointing towards. He uses the word administration. It's the Greek word oikonom, uh, uh, oikonomia. It's a word that literally means someone who is a manager of their household. Someone who, who sets up a, a plan, a, a purpose for their, for their household. And so it's like, this is according to God's plan. Jesus has been part of God's plan. He reveals this with the, through, through Christ. This is where life was, you know, G, when Jesus came, he didn't come too early. He didn't come too late. He came exactly when God wanted him to come. He came in the fullness of time. And eventually, Paul says in Philippians that all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King and He is Lord. That's the plan. That's God's plan, and it has been revealed to us. In the in, in Ephesus, um, there were these mystery, uh, you know, rituals that you had to perform in order to get insight into the spirit realm, into the, the plans of the gods. And here Paul says, no, no, it's been revealed. You don't have to perform any rite. You don't have to go through any ritual or any long, weird process. It's been revealed. It's Jesus. It's all been about Jesus. It's been everything in, in, from, the, from the law of Moses to the prophets has been pointing to Jesus. Like I, 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 it was told to me, um, the Old Testament promises Jesus, the, new, the, the gospels reveal Jesus and the rest of the New Testament proclaims Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always gonna be about Jesus. So it's always focused on him. That was God's plan. Then he continues, if that wasn't enough, he keeps on going on. He says, in him, again, in Christ, we, uh, in him also, we have obtained an inheritance now the word there, have, uh, obtain an inheritance, klerao, uh, means literally to appoint uh, by lot or to assign um, or to uh, obtain something. Here it's presented in the passive and so it's we have been appointed an inheritance. Or it could also be translated, we have been appointed as an inheritance. Now both of those statements are very true. We have, an, we have been appointed a, an inheritance, meaning there is an inheritance waiting for us in heaven, waiting for us when God's kingdom finally comes to earth. That's amazing, right? That's something we get to hope for and, and get excited about. But also, Paul says uh, uh, earlier on in, in verse five that we've been predestined, the church has been predestined to adoption as sons through Christ to himself. So we are actually, the church is God's inheritance, Think about that. Not only are we going to receive an inheritance, but we ourselves are God's inheritance. We're excited to receive our inheritance from God or full adoption, and that's going to be so amazing. And God's excited to receive us to himself. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, that's amazing, right? It's amazing. So we have obtained an inheritance or have been appointed as an inheritance 
having been predestined. So again, that's the whole thing. God, this is, this was God's plan. This was God's plan of what salvation was going to consist of. It has nothing to do with, with earning your salvation or receiving your salvation. It has to do with once you are saved. This is the reality. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things. Again, emphasis there. It's not just all things. It's the all things after the counsel uh, of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope for, to we who were the first to trust in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Again, it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. So why is God worthy to be praised? Well, because God the Father has chosen us. God the Son has redeemed us. And now we move, verse 13, God the Holy Spirit has sealed us. He says, in him, again, in Christ. This is your, your identity, in Christ. You also, after listening to the message of truth, literally the word of truth, what is the word of truth? The gospel, the good news of your salvation. And when he uses that word, listen, it's not just like, oh, I hear, I, I'm listening to birds Twitter and oh, that sounds nice. No, this is an idea of listening uh, that will lead to action. Okay, you're listening, you're going to heed it. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So you didn't just listen to the word of truth, you put your trust in that truth. You put your faith in Christ. If that has happened, Paul continues, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, if you go through your Old Testament, you read Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel, God promises that one day he's going to send his spirit, not just to guide us and direct us, but to live in us, to indwell us, to empower us to do what we're called to do. He is the Holy Spirit of promise. He is our seal. That word seal could mean a stamp. It it was um, in in the ancient times, people would actually brand objects that were it was basically say this is mine this is mine this is mine you know they would even brand their slaves these slaves are mine so in a way we have been branded by the holy spirit we belong to someone and and it's the idea that that seal was also a a a way for protection of security this is mine and it's going to stay mine so we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. That word pledge means to be a, a first installment, a down payment, a deposit, a earnest money, a guarantee. Some people will ask the question, you know, um, is it possible for Christians to lose their salvation? I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think the question to ask, can God lose a Christian? Can God lose a Christian? No. God's too powerful. God's too amazing. God's too glorious. Not only that, he's sealed his people with the Holy Spirit. He has marked them out. These people are mine. Not only that, but that seal, the Holy Spirit living in us, working in us and through us, is the, is the down payment, the guarantee that we're going to be with him forever and we're going to receive our spiritual, our complete spiritual inheritance. It's the guarantee. It's an assurance that that's going to happen. God can never lose someone. Again, this is, it's, 
a lot of stuff. This is a lot of stuff that, that Paul's getting at. Huge sentence, a lot of stuff. But again, it's like this fireworks display. You know, at the end of a fireworks uh, program, at least the good ones, it's like at the very end, it just goes, bah, 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 bah. it's almost like someone just goes, oops, I lit all of them on fire. Oh, well, who cares? It's just boom, 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 boom. That's kind of how it seems like in this passage. Paul's just like this and this and this and this and this, 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 this. It's all amazing. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. You have been chosen by God the Father. You have been redeemed by the Son. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Again, we are God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, again, we could read this and say, oh, wow, I mean, God has blessed us. God has redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's sealed us. He's, he's going to adopt us. I mean, we must be pretty awesome for him to do those things for us. Let's be pretty special. But the truth is, no, God is the one who's awesome. It's all God. It, it, he's the one. It's all for the praise of his glory, his splendor, his magnificence, his might. It's all for him. It's all to exalt the name of God. Now, again, here's, here's the truth. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. If you are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What are some of those blessings? You've been chosen by God the Father to continually exist as holy and blameless before him. Not him just right now, but all the way into eternity. You have been redeemed by the Son. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Now you are a servant of Christ. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the assurance, you have the guarantee that we'll be with him forever and ever. We will be his people. He will be our God. So we look at this truth. What, what does it do for you? What does it do for you? How, how should you respond to this amazing truth? One, um, one pastor uh, kind of um, addressed it this way. There, there's, uh, there's two forms of theology. I thought this was kind of funny. There's cat theology and dog theology. Okay? And so if, if you have a cat, this is not meant to offend those who have cats, um, but if you have a cat, if you're gone all day, Okay, your cat's inside the house. You, you go all day. You left really in the early in the morning. You come at night and you come into the house. Typically, this not all the time. There's some exceptions, but for the most part, people who have cats, you go into the house and you're just like, it's quiet. Where's the cat? Where's the cat? You're looking around. Oh, there it is. It's laying on the little, uh, what is it? Uh, windowsill. Or maybe it's in its bed and it's just kind of there. And then, you, you know, it looks at you. And it's like, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, you're back? Oh, hmm. oh, there's a litter box that you need to clean out. You know, it's just kind of, huh? well, whatever. If you have a dog, <laughs> you're gone all day. You come back. The dog's like, hello, hello, hello. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You're back. You're back. You're back. I didn't think you were going to be back, but now you're back. Yay. Yay. Even if you're driving, if you drive into the, the parking lot uh, or in your driveway and you see you have an open window, that dog's going, Hello? 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 Is it you? Yes, it's you. Yes, it's you. It's just like, they're just, ah, I can't believe it. I am so excited. How do we respond to an amazing truth like this? You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Are you going to have cat theology? Oh, yeah. That's great. Amazing. When's lunch? Are you going to have dog theology? Ah! I can't believe this. This is amazing. Blessing, 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 blessing. Oh my goodness. Lord, you're my savior. Lord, you're my God. Lord, you're my friend. Lord, you're my, my, uh, you're the one who seals me. You're the one who protects me. You're the one who guides me. You're the one who leads me. You're everything. Oh my goodness. Is that how we're going to respond? How many churches, my goodness, you hear a passage like this and okay, we're going to close with a song. And thank God for everything is blessings. But yeah, when you guys are going to watch the Super Bowl, yeah, woo, yeah, high five, boom. You go to actually see a game with like diehards. Like if you go to like USC, people are die. They literally paint themselves up like a, I don't know what, but they're like, yeah, smashing beer cans on their heads and just, yeah. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. We have the best, a most amazing truth right here presented to us. How is our response? See, we're going to close off with a song, To God Be the Glory. It's an old hymn. To God be the glory, great things he has done. If you can't sing that with a dog theology, something's wrong with your heart. I mean, honestly, well, some people go, oh, I'm just really not that way. I'm kind of more reserved. I'm kind of reserved. Let me tell you, when Christ comes, you're going to go all charismatic. You're going to be like, hallelujah, there's Jesus. I'm here. Let's practice that. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, you are good. You are amazing. Your blessings are just incredible. We thank you for your word. This is, it's overwhelming, the truth here. It's, it literally, it's gonna take me months and months to digest it, just the significance of each, each thing that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen by the Father. We've been redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's just amazing, amazing. I don't wanna take this truth for granted. It is a, 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 a an incredible truth that we as Christians need to live our lives in light of. Lord, it is amazing truth that we need to proclaim to a world that is just so loopy, so stuck, enslaved in darkness. They need to hear this truth. They need to hear the truth that they don't, their identity no longer has to be defined by their sins, their shame, what has been done to them, what they do. Their identity is in Christ. They can be redeemed. They can be forgiven. They can be sealed. Lord, forgive us for having a cat's theology when it comes to your word. Lord, all of us, most of us in this room have access to your word, either through our phone or even through a physical Bible on our mantelpiece, on our, on our coffee table. We have access to this amazing truth. How do we treat it? Like a cat? Oh, that's great. It's there whenever I need it. Or like the excited dog who's just so, just can't wait to see his master lick his master, praise his master. 
Lord, help us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.